Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we come into thy holy presence. We worship thee. We truly humble ourselves before thee. Thou art the almighty and everlasting God, creator of all things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and one Godhead. O oh Lord, we marvel. We cannot grasp or understand it. We cannot see thee, thou art invisible to us. But, O oh Lord, thy power and glory is evident to us. And we praise thee and we worship thee. We acknowledge that thou art the God who knows all things. Thou art the God of holiness and purity. And now we thank thee we may approach thee, not in our own righteousness or deserving, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we thank thee for such a Saviour who came to earth to suffer and to die on Calvary, to bear away the eternal punishment of sin for all who belong to him. O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt receive us now, wash us clean, pardon and forgive us afresh. Open our minds to thy truth this night. Grant, O oh Lord, that there may be life-changing words for men and women in this place, even tonight. O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt show us the things that belong to our everlasting salvation. Come, Lord, draw near, hear our worship, receive all our praise, hear our prayers, and bless us mightily now. We ask it in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ the Lord, for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the hymn 679. Hymn number 679. To thy temple I repair.
first scripture reading is from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. A Psalm of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect and in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's sing together the hymn number 139 version 2, hymn 139, version 2, based on that psalm, Lord, thou hast searched me and dost know.
Our second scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. The letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. May God add his blessing to that further reading of his word and grant us all understanding. We give a sincere welcome to all who are visitors with us for this evening worship and to all who join us on live webcast. We pray that you will know the blessing of the Lord as we hear the proclamation of the gospel of his grace tonight. The preacher this evening is our pastor, Dr. Peter Masters. At the close of this evening, worship, we meet for the Lord's Supper. We invite visiting friends who are members of other evangelical churches to remain with us. If you wish to remain, please see a church officer at the rear of the church in the brief interval between the services, as you will need to obtain a communion card. Our meeting this week are as follows. We hold our prayer meeting on Monday evening at half past seven, and this meeting will be in person. Our Bible study is on Wednesday evening at half past seven. This meeting will be in person also on live stream. The preacher on Wednesday will be our pastor, whose subject will be lessons for the church from Revelation 21, entitled Vision of the New Jerusalem. We invite and encourage all friends to join with us this Wednesday 
as we study God's holy word. If you'd like to give an offering, you can do so on the way out at the doors. There is also a card giving point in the entrance vestibule. At the close of this evening service, also our bookshop will be open. Our magazine, Sword and Trowel, can be obtained, and we hope that you will all stay for fellowship and refreshment in the vestibule downstairs. At the close of this evening service, Dr. Masters and pastoral staff will be available in their vestries for any who may wish to speak with them. Next Sunday, our services are at 11 in the morning and half past six in the evening when the preacher, God willing, will be our pastor. Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise Thee and worship Thee, and we thank Thee we may draw near to Thee in prayer. O oh Lord, we marvel at Thy mighty power. There is nothing can thwart Thy plans and Thy purposes. O oh Lord, Thou who created all things, Thou who hast created the universe, the vast, vast spaces, O oh Lord, there is nothing too hard for thee, nothing which thou canst not do in line with thy mighty plans and purposes, and we therefore humble ourselves before thee. Thou art the God of creation, the God of order, the God who has made the most minute things and the greatest things, and thou hast made them at a word. O oh Lord, the divine genius, is beyond our power of comprehension. Thou art everlasting, infinite, eternal. Lord, we marvel at the things that thou hast made and done, and thou hast made men and women so different from any of the animals. We praise thee and thank thee that we have conscious life, we praise thee and thank thee that we have the power of reason. We marvel and thank thee that we have a conscience and a knowledge of right and wrong. We praise and thank thee for language and communication, for feelings and the ability to know pleasure and to discern and to enjoy. O oh Lord, we thank thee for relationships one with another, for love, for family. I praise and thank thee for all that thou hast given us. We are so intricate. We marvel at thy creative power. But, oh, Lord, we cannot even begin to comprehend what the eternal heavens will be like for all who are called into glory to know Christ forever for and forever. We marvel at places of great beauty and intricacy, even now. What will it be like to walk with thee and to be in that vast company of people who live to praise thee and rejoice before thee? O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt grant to each one of us in this place a desire to know about eternal things, Grant that that ancient instinct which is within every one of us for the soul and for thee, the living God, and for eternity may be expressed in seeking, searching hearts. Make these things so important to us. Oh, we pray that men and women here in this place may desire thee and seek after thee, work by the power of the Spirit. If we have always rejected thee and spurned thee and thought nothing of thee, O oh Lord, come in thy kindness and power and awaken dormant souls that we may desire, that we may feel our need of thee and thy forgiving love. Work in this place, even this night, and wherever the gospel is proclaimed, wherever the saving word of Christ is lifted up, 
in this city, in this country, and around this world, while the Lord's day shall run, O oh Lord, we pray that souls may be drawn to the only Saviour, and that he may be glorified. Look upon us now and help us all and deepen our thinking and reach down to each one of us. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour, for his sake. Amen. Let's join in singing the hymn 355. Hymn number 355. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy.
turning now to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 14. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, these famous words, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. God forbid that I should glory. What makes Christ supreme? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in one single verse. Before I begin to look at this verse, just a few years ago, I was speaking with a man and he said that he had been a Christian, but he had given it up. And he had given it up because he had found it could not be true, the Christian faith, and it did not work. He said that he'd been brought up in a church-going family. He knew the gospel message. He understood these things. And he says he struggled to come to God himself. And he thought perhaps he had done so. But as time went on and as the years go by, he came to the conclusion that prayer did not work, that his prayers were never answered. And then he realized that uh, he could not have any guidance from the Lord, something that had struck his attention earlier on, that the Lord will guide his people and he tried to pray, and he'd been taught at any rate to open up the scriptures and to look for guidance in the scriptures. I'm not sure what this idea was, but anyway, this is what he'd been taught, and that it didn't work for him. And when he thought he had guidance from God, well, what happened was a very unfortunate outcome so he felt it couldn't have been, and guidance didn't work. And then he began to realize and to notice that his associates, his friends, who made no pretense of being Christians, were often much happier than he was. It hadn't made him any happier. He couldn't say that he had any sense of communion with God. He went through the list. He was quite clear on many of these things. And then he would have so many doubts. And he'd been taught, rightly or wrongly, he'd been taught that if he only exercised faith, then the doubts would run away and melt and disappear. But it didn't work. He still had nothing but doubts and fears. And then he realized that not only was he not more no more happy than other people. He was not more moral than other people either. He kept falling and stumbling into things that his conscience told him were dreadful and wrong. And he noticed yet something else, that there were some people who claimed to be Christians, who he knew, also did some terrible things and were quite happy about it. And they said to him, well, we're forgiven by God. And he had the impression that made them even worse to think that they could go on doing much as they liked and be confident that they were forgiven by God. So for all these reasons, he came to the conclusion that Christianity wasn't true and that it was a fraud or at best a delusion and he left it behind and abandoned it. Well, obviously it's very sad to hear all that. And uh, if you're sorry for the gentleman, and he was quite certain of it, that he tried and it had failed for him. But it's evident from his story that he had not really ever found the Lord. He'd not truly been, as we say, converted to Christ. If he had no 
meaningful relationship with Christ and he'd found his prayers were not answered and he had nothing but doubts and he was unhappy and he couldn't uh, uh, control his uh, worst sins, well then it means that he had never really had a work of God in his life and been changed and drawn to God. And that often happens. You find there are people who are, and the term that we often use is just nominal Christians. Christians in name only. They may believe many of the doctrines, the message of salvation, but they have not personally found anything. Now, why would that be? How could it be? If the promises of the word of God is that if we come sincerely to him in repentance and faith, we shall not be turned away, how can it happen? Well, there was something wrong with their understanding or maybe with their response. It's possible, I suppose, we can approach God for some other reason, and by other reason I mean other than for forgiveness of sin and rescue spiritually and new life. Maybe some people would come to God because they want to be healed of an illness or they want to pass an exam or they want to have some happy experience or they just want some feeling of security that if something terrible happened to them, they would go to heaven. Perhaps there's something less than the desire for the forgiveness of sin and new life and reconciliation with God for his glory. Perhaps it's something for me. I can't judge this man who spoke to me I can't see into the cause of it in his case, but there's very often some reason, some fault even on our side as to why we cannot find. We're not sincere enough or earnest enough in our seeking. We haven't really been touched and affected. Now, to come to the text, the Apostle Paul was quite different. These words are very powerful, but... God forbid. Actually, those are not the words in the Greek. There is a very strong expression which means something. May it never be. It cannot be. Something along these lines. Not wholly expressible in English, but something very, very strong. And the translators here have chosen God forbid as a powerful equivalent of what is said. Let it never be. And let me point out that in the Greek original, the emphasis is all on the I. God forbid that I, of all people, should glory in anything but the cross of Christ. It's impossible that I could ever glory in anything else, says the apostle. Why? Because of the experience that he'd had. Because of the most certain, definite, unmistakable experience he had had of a great change within, a spiritual change, a character change, a relationship change. God had so worked that he's a new person, a new creature. And the experience was so strong with him that he says, God forbid, it cannot possibly be that I could put any experience higher than that of understanding the cross of Christ. But God forbid that I should glory. What does he mean by that glory in? Well, it means literally boast in, in the very best sense 
of the word boast, that I should count anything else as so wonderful and amazing as this. This is the greatest thing you could understand and contemplate, the cross of Christ. Your greatest delight may be here. In 1966, if you don't mind a personal reflection, my wife and I had been married four years, that's a long time ago, and uh, we were living at that time in Boromwood, pastoring uh, a new church there, and uh, we had staying in our house with us a young man, uh, very early 20s, as a lodger there with us for the time being. And he was a keen footballer. I don't understand football, but he was a keen footballer. And it was July, the end of July, it was the World Cup. And he was a little bit disorganized in his mind, this young man. But rather late in the day, during the early afternoon, he decided he wanted to go down to Wembley to see the World Cup. Nowadays, you wouldn't have a hope of getting in if you left things as late as that. Anyway, that was his idea. And he gained admission, and he saw the World Cup. But England won. I won't go into any further detail. And to him, at the time, what a day. What an occasion. What excitement. Tremendous to have seen that. And he came back full of it, of course. But he knew better than to think for a moment that that was an overtowering, crowning experience. And within an hour or two, he was saying, I see it in perspective. What can this experience do for me? And he was thinking along the right lines. Can it get your sins forgiven? Can it change your character? Can it get you to heaven? Can it give you happiness and peace? Can it give you communion with God? Can it give you his blessing and friendship and help through life and a glorious eternity? Of course not. However great and wonderful it may seem at the time, it's but a sporting event. He can't do anything for society at large or for you and I. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the argument? Of course there are things you can take great pleasure in and you can admire and you can think wonderful. But perhaps like that World Cup, they're gone with the moment. Perhaps not to be repeated in donkey's years. Who knows? There's nothing to be compared with the cross of Christ. I think, though, of another problem. The cross of Christ. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here. He says quite plainly, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We might expect him to say, save in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you notice he doesn't say that. Save in the cross. Now that's a challenge. How can we glory in the cross of Christ? The cross was a terrible thing. Viewed humanly, you might think it was a disaster. Here is Christ, the Messiah, long foretold and expected. He's healing thousands of people. He's raised the dead. He's restored sight to the blind. Here is his mission. He is preaching every day. 
He is saying things that draw vast crowds. Never a man spoke like this man, say the officials. Ended. Arrested in apparent weakness. Executed. His mission, humanly speaking, seems to have come to an abrupt halt. It's over. It's finished. Why does the apostle then say he glories in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? And what a death. A shameful death. The death of a criminal. The death of a malefactor. A murderer. A robber. A shameful death he dies. Rejected, jeered at, scorned, spat upon, beaten. He was tortured, the Romans scourging, and then nailed to a cross. The most shameful, belittling thing you could undergo. And yet the Apostle Paul says, this is the most glorious thing. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is when you understand it, and he tells us why in this marvelous verse, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. And that little word save translates a sense that means only in the cross. God forbid that I should glory except and solely in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what makes it glorious. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Four words there. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. And that just introduces the matter. He's come for us not for himself, to be our redeemer, to save us from the consequences of our sin, to save us everlastingly. He's ours if we find him and know him, our eternal possession and Lord and Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord he is God, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three persons, we don't understand it, three glorious divine beings, but one God. And he's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Lord. He created everything. Through Christ, did the Father make the world? Did the Holy Spirit make the world? Well, in a sense, they all did because they're one. But the scripture does particularly tell us that it was through Christ. He was the creating agent who created the universe and all things. Our Lord, this is what makes the cross special. Not how he died, but who died. Who died on Calvary's cross? The Lord of glory, the Lord of angels, the Lord over time, the Lord of the universe. What an astonishing thing. He came down, down, down from heaven and entered into human flesh and personality to be our representative and our savior. There is nothing like that, nothing to match that, nothing so amazing, so sublime, that God came down for us and entered into flesh and ultimately died on a cross. It was who died. And I'm often saying this, but the Lord, the Messiah, the only historical person ever to have been prophesied in the history of the world. Prophesied many times 
in many ages by many prophets all the details of his being divine, his coming into the world, where he would be born, what he would do, how he would minister, how he would die, what he would die for. There's no one else in human history has ever been prophesied even in one tiny little respect or section of their lives. The Lord, the Lord who? The Lord Jesus, his personal name. He became truly a man. He was the God-man. He was divine and he was human. He was truly human. He had to be. If he had not been truly human, he could not suffer our punishment of sin as we should have suffered. If he had not been God, he could never have sustained that punishment and gone through with his atoning death in which he died to take our place if we believe in him, if we're among his people. The Lord, yes, Jesus, the personal name, Christ, which means the anointed, the appointed one, the God, the one who the Father had sent to be our saviour, the cross, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, you must glory in the cross of Christ. It's the only way to be saved, to understand what went on on Calvary's cross when our Redeemer came and suffered and died for us. Look at the cross of Calvary. What do you see in the cross of Calvary? You see divine justice. God must punish sin. God is holy. He must punish sin. God is so holy that there is no hope for us. We cannot approach him. We cannot ever know him, walk with him. Be with him eternally unless our sin is purged away by punishment. God must get rid of the guilt of sin by punishing it. So who can be saved? Who can be forgiven? How do you solve this problem? How can a holy God let off sinners to just let them off will offend against his holiness and his justice as is God's character he cannot do it he cannot be unjust he cannot overlook sin so how can he save by immeasurable love God himself, in the person of Christ, comes down to take our place and our punishment for us so that God can be just and holy and loving and merciful. He does it himself, and only he could do it. That's what you see on Calvary's cross. You see God's justice poured out. What pain for God. As one poet writes of God the Father veiling his face as he pours out his punishment upon his beloved Son. The love between the Father and the Son was vastly greater than we could conceivably imagine. Pure and perfect love Yet despite that, because of pity and love for lost sinners, God punishes Christ on Calvary's cross. And Christ 
opens his arms, as it were, and cries out, punish me, instead of them. No wonder the Apostle Paul says, this is the only thing to glory in. On the cross of Christ, you see God's justice. On the cross of Christ, you see God's perfect wisdom. He solved the problem that I've been speaking of. The perfect wisdom of God, how to save lost men and women. On the cross of Christ, you see the purest offering because Christ had to be pure himself in order to be qualified to make an atonement for us. If he had been, perish the thought, a sinner in any way, he would have to bear his own eternal punishment. But you see, the Son of God, God and man, in all his holiness and purity, taking our sinful stain upon himself and bearing it away. The things you see on Calvary's cross, you see pardon accomplished and achieved. And then you see the qualities flowing from the cross of Calvary. You see the power of the cross of Calvary. It has tremendous power. If Christ died for somebody's sin, that person's justice has been cancelled, finished. God is satisfied. The person will never have that sin laid upon him. Christ has taken it. It's a powerful act. Christ died for millions of people, not for everyone, but for millions of people who would be saved in the history of the world and forgiven, who would come to him and repent and seek him and find him. And because he died, their punishment has gone. In the language of scripture, their sin is taken away. The remission, the taking away of sin. The power of the cross of Christ is nothing so powerful. An avalanche is nothing by comparison with the power of the cross of Christ and what it achieved in taking away lifetimes of sin for millions of people and bringing them to heavenly glory. You look at the cross of Christ and you see other things. Christ died for all kinds of people what we call the universality of the cross of Christ. Are you rich? If you're moved to repent of your sin and to give your life to Christ, your sin was on that cross. Are you desperately poor and in need? Doesn't matter. If you're moved to repent of your sin and to give your life to Christ, your sin was just the same on Calvary's cross, taken away. Calvary achieved for all kinds of people, all nationalities, all age groups, intelligent and simple, rich and poor, no matter what. The achievement of Calvary is astonishing. Well, dear friends, our time is up. And I must just take you to the end of the verse. The apostle says, God forbid that I of all people should glory and esteem anything higher than this. I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Says the apostle, when God worked in my heart, a proud Pharisee, very ambitious, seeking a high position in the Jewish church and the Jewish nation, persecuting Christians, bigoted and full of my ideas, 
when God humbled me and brought me to see Christ and what happened on Calvary's cross, something else happened. I died to this world. That's what he says. I died to it by whom the world is crucified unto me. The world died in my estimation. I saw through it. I saw that it was a materialistic, rationalistic world, all for the here and now. I saw its deceptions, its false promises to make me happy, to make me special, to make me rich, when it couldn't fulfill these promises of making me happy. I saw that the world was full of corruption and violence and deceit. I saw that it was a great sham, that the royals were no better than their subjects. The world died, as far as I was concerned. Oh, says Paul, you've got to be good citizens. You've got to help people. You've got to make your contribution and do what you can. But once you see the cross of Christ, this world is nothing. I'm living for Christ and for eternity. I'll be good in this world, but I want people to come to Christ. This world is unbelieving and against Christ. I don't esteem it like I used to. I don't have all my ambitions here, he says. And I'd, the world dies and I die. And I unto the world. What did the world, that society, think of the apostle? They thought he was a waste of time. They didn't esteem him. They didn't esteem Christ. You come to Christ, you see what God has done on the cross of Calvary in Christ, and this world loses its gloss for you at once, and this world may reject you. You won't be so attractive to people because you're for the Lord and for righteousness, for him. And you're not of this world. You don't want to do the same sins and the same things. But that's another sermon. Listen to these words. God forbid, may you see the cross of Christ, that I should glory, save with the sole exception of the cross of the Lord of the universe who made all things, who became Jesus, a man, for me. Of course, after his death, he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and is now back at the right hand of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's made me, verse 15, a new creature, a new person. Friends, if you come sincerely, and you repent of your sin, and you give your life to God, and you trust in Christ alone of what he's done, done on Calvary. Ask him to change you and make you his own, and don't rest until you're sure that God has touched your life. Then you will never say, I tried to pray and it didn't, didn't work. With all of us in the history of this world who've ever found God, you will say, I have prayers answered over and over again. God, in a wonderful way, doesn't always ask, answer them just as I ask, but according to his wisdom and even better, and he leads me and he guides me, and I know him, and he's my heavenly friend, and he will take me home all the way to eternal glory. You will be sure, you will, be pro you will prove him, you will have a river of evidence flowing through your life.
and you will have joy and peace and deep inner happiness and you will have moral strength, a new nature, a new character. All these things will come to you because you saw what Christ achieved on Calvary and you bowed the knee and came to him. Let's pray together. O oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, look upon us all and help us. Leave us not alone. O oh Lord, if the enemy of souls should seek to draw us away, keep these things in our minds. Draw us surely and certainly to an experience of Christ as Saviour. We ask it in his name for his sake. Amen. Let's sing as we close hymn number 393. Hymn 393. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and continue with each one of us, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.